0: Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Hey, welcome back. Um, today, we're going to continue our series, How Not to Be Your Own Worst Enemy. And to start the series, I'm going to take you to France. Um, not really, because ain't nobody got time for that. But um, in March 2019, an incident occurred with a report that has recently come out. Uh, a 64-year-old man, um, his coworkers really wanted to show them how much they appreciated him. And so they arrived. They kind of arranged a, a special a surprise visit to a military base. So as they arrive at the military base, they're sitting on the tarmac is a French fighter jet. That French fighter jet, that specific model, can average around 840 miles per hour. It's screaming fast. And as they arrive on the military base, they look to their colleague and they say, hey, surprise, we've gotten you a ride along today on this fighter jet. There's a three jet exercise and they've agreed to let you sit in the back. Well, um, the investigators uh, would later discover that his watch, his smartwatch, was registering a heartbeat that was essentially a full tachycardia, which means that his heart was beating so fast it was bordering on the edge of really dangerous, just rapid, out of control. And as he loads into the jet, he's kind of visibly, physically kind of shaken. the jet takes off, and as it screams up into the air, it gets to around 2,500 feet. His heart still in tachycardia. He's starting to have full-on panic attacks. He he doesn't have his helmet on because he's so kind of like fidgety. He can't even like click it. And as he's panicking, he just tries to grab onto anything that will make him feel safe. And what he does in the process of doing that is he grabs the ejector button. And in a second, his seat flies up out of the back, no helmet on, soars through the air, and as the jet screams off with the pilot being hit by the helmet, I believe, um, he floats down to the ground with some injuries. Now, what's fascinating to me is that as terrifying and as awesome would a fighter jet actually be, riding along with a fighter jet, actually, I'm um, like, You know, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm pretty sure the ejecting yourself from a fast-moving fighter jet is actually more terrifying. And so what this man did in the process was unintentionally sabotage himself. You see, I think sometimes in the goal of trying not to be our own worst enemy, we become our own worst enemy. We grab the proverbial ejection seat button, and we hit it, and we fly out. And we don't mean to make things worse, but in the process, we do. And if there's any area where I think this is so true, where we become our own worst enemy, it might be the area of communication. In fact, maybe you've experienced something a little bit like this scenario I want to tell you about. Let's imagine we've got a couple. Now, for the sake of this, I want to make this a little bit more alive. So let's imagine we have a guy named Jeff. Oh, actually, let's just call him Woody. And we have Elsa. Now, Woody and Elsa are happy. And as Elsa walks in, she's noticed that um, Woody has loaded the dishwasher. And so here is the dialogue. Um, Elsa. Elsa. Listen, try not to take this the wrong way, Woody, okay? But if we're going to be married for the next 30 years, I need you to know that plates do not go on the top shelf of the dishwasher. I really don't like when you do that. Woody responds. Okay, well, Elsa, can I give you a little bit of feedback on how you just told me that? Um, first of all, it's not really that big of a deal. It's a dishwasher. Dishwashers wash dishes. I really think you need to let it go, Elsa. I just think you should have thanked me first for this thing, not screamed at me. Well, Elsa responds, well, I have told you before, plates do not go on the top shelf. Remember that, Woody? Woody. But still, I was trying to be thoughtful and load the dishwasher for us so we could just relax and chill on the couch. Well, Elsa responds, well, if you were thinking of me, you wouldn't have loaded the plate on the top shelf. Oh, come on, Elsa. I loaded the dishwasher. That's a nice thing to do. You say thank you. It's called being polite. Why do you have to be so cold? <gasps> How dare you? Do you, you know what would be polite? If, if the things I told you, you actually listened to them. Well, hang on. All I'm asking for here is a little bit of gratitude, Elsa. Just a tiny, insy-bincy, snowflake level of gratitude. So maybe it's not the way you would do it, but it's still something I did. <gasps> no, it's not the way I did it, Woody, because it's wrong. And it doesn't work when you put dishwashers, when you put plates on top shelf of the dishwasher. Well, Woody, huh? <sighs> turns to walk away, but stops and says, what is wrong with you? Are you allergic to saying thank you to people? Can't you just warm up a little bit towards me? Well, how do you expect someone to say thank you for doing something that you didn't want done for them, especially when you said it a thousand times? Well, Woody and Elsa storm off, but Woody, right before he leaves, says, you know what's a better question? How do you act like this When someone does something nice for you and they storm out the room. Now, reality is, is that this probably feels a little familiar, just maybe not without the characters. You see, in one area of our life where we're our own worst enemy, it's in the area of communication where a nice gesture turns into warfare. And yet, if you were to slow down the interaction what you would actually find in that moment is that there were some clear elements that caused them to go off track. And today I want to look at a passage, it was written almost 3,000 years ago, that actually shows us how we can get back on track in communication and how we can not become our own worst enemy. It comes from the book of Proverbs, which is one of my favorite books in um, the Jewish scriptures or what we would call the Old Testament in the Christian Bible. It was written by one of the most wisest men who've ever lived. It was written uh, initially as a parenting manual that um, in the end became a bestseller because of the profound wisdom. It's a book that doesn't require you to believe in God, but it's God himself that's the reason that the book of Proverbs works in the first place. Just like there are natural laws like gravity, there are also um, relational laws and there are universal laws that God has Woven into the foundation, and wisdom is a recognition that those laws are there, created ultimately by the ultimate lawmaker, and that when we follow those laws, what we would call wisdom, then we see results from those. One specific passage, because over a hundred different proverbs are dedicated to speech alone, is this passage in Proverbs twelve, eight. It says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Again. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Solomon liked to to create visuals for his children because visuals kind of give us an additional hook. And for me, when I read this passage, one of the visuals that happens in my brain um, is swords or scalpels. Both are sharp, but where one leads, to injury, the other one leads to healing. Where one leads to hurt, the other one brings life. And what Solomon is laying out for his children here is the fact that their words have the potential to do one or two things. And they're in the driver's seat. They have a choice on how they're going to use their voice. And in this passage, what we see is the two distinct ways now, what's fascinating to me is in the nuance of what Solomon is saying, he's, he's saying there's the words of the reckless and then the words of the wise. Now, reckless, the reckless use their words to pierce like swords. Now, swords are an offensive kind of, ah, gotcha, kind of weapon. And you tend to do that on an attack. See, what happens for most of us is we, in the midst of a conversation, or dialogue, whether it's with a roommate, significant other, or coworker, we feel attacked and we start to attack back. We use our words and they become swords. And they pierce and they hurt and they jab. And two different people jabbing each other start to lead to further and further pain. But I think part of it that's key is this word reckless. Now, reckless is to be thoughtless, it's to be unintentional, it's to be kind of misguided. It can. You're, it's like you're physically there, but you're not. Um, many of us are finding ourselves in situations now where we have to use Zoom or Skype. And one of the things that's happened uh, that I love about human beings is that as I've had Zoom calls, what I've noticed is there's a tendency, um, regardless of the age, let's be clear, this isn't my daughter on Zoom with her class because they do that, um, this tends to be adults that I'm talking to or me as the adult that is talking, where people have discovered virtual backgrounds. And so you can have these different virtual backgrounds that are, some are funny, some are serious, um, but one of the habits that I've noticed is this virtual background where people have realized that some of these software actually create software. They have an algorithm that's paying attention to your face. And so it's called an attention index. And so your host or your teacher or your boss, um, if they activate this feature, can actually get an alert that says, hey, one user blank is no longer paying attention. Their face isn't on the screen. And, and schools have been doing this with students. And in sc- it's kind of student chat rooms uh, one of the things that's emerged is, hey, if you take a picture of yourself and you make your picture the virtual background, then you can leave your computer and the computer sees your face and, it, and so it never alerts the host that you're not paying attention. It looks like you're totally engaged even when you're not. And I think some ways this captures what Solomon is saying here with reckless. The reckless are present but they're not paying attention because they've gotten hurt. They felt offended. They've been jabbed. And what turns out, because that word injured them, they pull out swords instead of words, and they begin to stab. And in our couple earlier with the brilliant acting that Elsa and um, Woody performed for us, that conversation maybe hit home a little bit because it was a living demonstration of this first half. They were both being reckless. They were both no longer paying attention. In fact, had you gone and slow motioned the conversation, what you would have probably noticed was there wasn't a dialogue going on. It was two different monologues, two two different swords being thrust. There was no longer contact or conversation. If you think back, it begins with a kitchen scene, and Woody, having just washed the dishes, has a desire to feel appreciated. And what happens? Elsa comes in, and she notices that Woody has put the plates on the top shelf of the dishwasher, which is, I'm pretty sure, like third level down from like murder um, or kicking a cat. And so um, Elsa sees that, and she gets really angry. Because it's wrong. But that's not what angers her. If you notice in the conversation, what angers her is that she's told Woody not to do that a thousand times. And so what happens is you have two different fundamental needs in that conversation. Woody wants to feel appreciated. He wants to feel like he's um, being thanked for what he did. He was being thoughtful. So he feels like he should get some appreciation. And so Elsa comes in and what she wants, she wants... Would you just listen to her when she says something. And what happens? One wants to feel appreciated. The other one wants to feel heard. And the conversation produces neither one of those. Both demanding what they want results in neither one of them getting it. There's no relaxing on the couch. There's sure no relaxing anywhere else after that either. It, In fact, it just turned cold as they both walked away. And it's because they didn't listen to each other. They were reckless. And they turned their words into swords. What um, Sheila Heen calls switch tracking, I think, is a really good illustration or descriptor of what Solomon's describing, describing here and what we just witnessed with them. It's almost like, as the conversation started, a track switch got pulled, and one of them takes the other track, and they ride parallel for a season, but they're not on the same track. The conversation's already off track. One wants to feel appreciated, one wants to feel heard. He's not listening, she's not appreciating, so what happens is their tracks get further and further and further apart, and they get more and more and more injured. And they do live cold. And it probably continues, and most likely... In this imaginary couple scenario, this becomes a habit. This is something that isn't just in romantic conversations. This happens between roommates. This happens between parents and kids. In fact, last night, I was having a conversation with my daughter, and one of the intentional habits is I always try to make sure we don't switch track because it can quickly get off track when you're trying to deal with an issue. In fact, one of the early... um, coachings that we got in our premarital counseling was a little trick to produce that um, and to help us stay focused. And so it may be a physical object or uh, like a sticky note because you've, here's a sticky situation. So write the central topic that you're talking about on the sticky note. And then any other topics that come up, write those things on a sticky note and put them to the side. Deal with each track each time. Don't get off track. And so it's like, okay, here's the issue. I want to feel appreciated. Here's her issue. I want to feel heard, right? And so, okay, I hear two different things. So what Woody should and could have done is say, sweetie, I hear you. It seems like you don't feel like I've been listening to you. And I want you to know I love you. The reason I did this tonight was to be thoughtful. I want to be thoughtful in our relationship. I just really wanted to feel appreciated for what I did tonight. And can we talk about that? And then I want to talk about you not feeling like you're being heard because I could easily, if I'm not being careful, demand my appreciation from you and in the process not even hear what you're trying to say. And so for some of you, it may be just learning how to use sticky notes in conversations. Uh, For my wife and I, early in our marriage, we would use a salt shaker. We would Kind of move physically, sit down beside each other, and put something in front of us, and say, "Okay, this is what we're talking about. This is the issue. All these other things are important, but right now, this is the most important thing. Let's get conclusion. Whether it's our finances, whether it's on vacation, whether it's on a purchase, whether it's on uh, something I'm, I should should be doing or or should not be doing. Like, let's get clarity around that topic. Now, that helps to prevent us from going off track and turning into word warfare, where our words become swords. Sometimes switch tracking um, doesn't even happen out loud. Maybe your boss walks up to you pre-COVID-19 or in COVID-19 scenarios, maybe it's over a Zoom call and there are other people listening. And your boss looks at you and says, where's that report I asked for last week? Like, what's wrong with you? I told you I needed it before the weekend. Now it's Monday, and now I'm looking like I'm not doing my job. Are you lazy? Now, switch tracking can look like this while your boss is doing that, and you mute it. You've got your virtual background where it looks like you're paying attention. And what you're really doing in your head is you're like, First of all, man, like you gave me this thing 24 hours before it was due and there's at least 48 hours worth of work in that. Like what's wrong with you? Like what bizarre world do you live in where you think I as a human being stuck at home with my kids can get something done in 24 hours that takes a group of people 48 hours at the office to get done? And, by the way, I asked you to do something last week, and you didn't do it. You didn't give me that report. And part of the reason this report's not prepared is because you didn't give me that piece of information I asked for. So how dare you call me out in front of all these people? Like, are you an idiot? Like, what is wrong with you? Now, you're not saying any of that out loud. Your virtual background's just you smiling. But inside your head, you're switch tracking, switch tracking, switch tracking, and you're taking and you're four or five tracks away at this point. And we do this. And we become reckless. Because sometimes you don't have to say it out loud to peers. Because a relationship can be destroyed inside of your head. Long before it ever plays out in front of you. Where you lose trust or you lose respect. But what Solomon does for us here is he also gives us another path that Solomon says the words can bring healing. They can bring life. And that's the type of words that Solomon is causing his, calling his children to practice. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I think I saw a beautiful illustration of how words can move us and how they can bring healing. And sometimes we can lose sight of how powerful they can actually be. It was... Uh, made the rounds in social media, an Alabama man named John, um, he's 84 years old, his wife Ann, they've been married for 45 years, Ann was in um, a care facility for people with Alzheimer's, severe dementia. So every single day after he finished up his um, teaching responsibilities at a local college, he would go by and spend the rest of the evening with her just singing to her. And talking to her. And then when COVID 19 happened, he was no longer allowed to go into the care facility to see her. And so every single day since the beginning of COVID 19 and the separation policies that were put into place, John's been doing this. And And she sings along with him. Because for 45 years, John and Ann went to church together. And these are classic songs that brought her hope. And John does this every single afternoon. And as I watched that video, so moved on the inside. Because in my head, I'm like, man, when I'm 45 years into my marriage, I want there to be such a compassion and tenderness and healing in my words that my wife still feels a deeper love and appreciation. I, I, if that was my circumstance, I want to be that guy 45 years into my marriage. I want to have that type of tenderness and intentionality with my words, with my kids, and with my friends. Not just 45 years into those relationships, but today in those relationships. Because I recognize that our words have the power to cut, to hurt, or to heal. And that every single day, I have a choice with what I'm going to do with my voice. I can let the frustration and stress of circumstances and situation and the grief I'm feeling because of what we're living through. I can let that spill out with my loved ones or my coworkers, or I can step into those moments each time reminding myself that I have a choice of what I'm going to do with my voice. So last night, I was really frustrated. I'd I'd asked um, my daughter to do something, and it was really late, and I knew we needed to get to bed. And so I came in. I said, hey, Pumpkin, here's the deal. It's really late. I want you to be able to read. um, And I need you to do this. I don't need you to delay. I need you to, like, because we're cleaning a room. I need you to do this really fast so that we can snuggle up and we can read together. Okay? All right? Can you say, Daddy, uh, like, Daddy, I agree. Like, I'm going to do this. And if I don't, I'm going to lose my reading because it's so late. And she agreed. So I'm cleaning, I walk out of her room, and um, I walk as I'm walking back in, there she is, and she's gotten distracted, and she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. <sighs> Boo-boo, remember what I said to you? Do not read that. No delay. No delay. Okay? All right. Awesome. Let's keep it up. I keep cleaning. Walk out. Come back in. A few minutes later. Oh, <gasps> my. Babe, why are you still looking at that? Please. Do you remember our conversation? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I'm like, all right. I'll walk out. Sure enough, as I peek around the corner... She's reading again. How am I? Oh, it's going down. I'm getting a big hammer. I'm I'm bringing the hammer down. I already told her it's happening now, right? And so as I am like feeling that frustration, because it's really late, um, part of my life routine is that every Saturday night, I actually preach this message and debrief, unpack it, Because I want to make sure that what I bring to you is hopeful and is helpful. I want to honor your time. And I want to honor God in the the delivery and the preparation and the hard work that goes into it. And so I feel all the stress of Sunday morning on Saturday night. And as I'm standing there outside of her door, I had to say this prayer. God, I have a voice. I have a choice with what I'm going to do with my voice. She didn't listen. She's not listened multiple times but that doesn't give me permission to lash out. And that I can walk into that room and I can, in kindness and compassion, deliver the consequence without crushing her spirit. And I exhaled a couple times because I was really frustrated. And I walked in, and in that moment, I passed the test. Other moments, not so much. What helped me in that moment was, one, as a pastor, I realized I was actually literally talking about this tomorrow, and that would really be bad if I totally bombed that thing last night. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, your words can bring healing. Now, my daughter hasn't talked to me for 12, 14 hours because I crushed her with my words, but words, they have power, right? Now, fortunately for me, I had the sermon. But the sentence is what helps the most because you don't get to preach this message tomorrow, but you do get to live this message today. And having the sentence, what am I going to do? What is the choice I'm going to execute with my voice today? And the reason that you and I can reflect that type of power in our words, is that ultimately God stepped into planet Earth. He stepped into our circumstance and our situation. That he stepped into our predicament. To understand, to live, to experience, and to blaze a path. Because it's a whole lot easier to lead people when you step into their world and you ride their train with them when you understand what track they're on, instead of riding an adjacent track, screaming at them, expecting them to hop over onto your train. And that the heart of the Christian message is that God stepped onto our train so that he could eventually lead us onto a path that brings life, not death. And that because in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we see hints of him being called the living word. That words are so important and so powerful because ultimately they reflect God's power and presence and our being made in the image of God. That when we speak, we do create worlds. We do shape destinies. Not in some kind of name it, claim it kind of way, but in the physical reality of we crush, we hurt, or we heal. And because of God's love for us, because of the way God has paved the path for us. Last night, I could, before I walked into my daughter's room, before legitimately I could have crushed her because I use words professionally. And, and it would be really easy for me to use my words professionally to crush her. That I had to remind myself how God has treated me in moments when I've acted like her. And what has his words to me been when they could have been something else. And I'm so grateful that even today, where you are and where I am, there's a God above us who loves us. A God above us who doesn't treat us like we deserve to be treated. Whose words to us is not you screw up, you failure. Yeah, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father, you'll never be, you're stupid, you're dumb. You're a letdown. His words had action. And a demonstration and a declaration of his love for us and the value and the way that he paved the path. And for many of us, I believe that us becoming intentional about our words starts with us becoming intentional about looking up to the one who is the living word and how he lived so that we could live. And for some of us, maybe that means exploring faith. If you go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash faith, you can request the book. I'd love to send to you to help you process through. If you're struggling, you're like, I like, I like some of this stuff, but I, the God thing or the evolution thing or whatever, fill in the blank thing is my barrier. I'd love to have that dialogue because those are legitimate questions, but they also have legitimate answers. Christianity doesn't ask you to check your brain. It just asks you, to follow God's heart and what he did with his body. And in the process, he begins to transform you. So you don't have to check your brain. You can actually bring your brain into this faith. And so if that's you today, I'd love to send you a free book. Or in May, in a couple of weeks, we're kicking off a series called the, Bibles, the Bible for Adults. And the Bible for Adults series is I'm leaning into some of those things that are struggles for some of us around the Bible. For some of us, it's just to be reminded. And the way that we're gonna close out today is to, to hear a song led by our team that, that calls us to focus on that reckless love that God had for us. And, that, and focusing on our heart and our mind on the reckless love that he had for us, it starts to give us the strength to walk and to live and to speak and to use our words in a way that brings healing in life. Because today, you and I have a choice of what we can do with our voice. We can hurt or we can heal. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.